Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about diversity and inclusion in the field of financial services. To say that we're operating in extraordinary times is a massive understatement. And so we wanted to take a pause from our usual schedule to curate and create a mini-series. On the podcast, we talk about flexible working, we talk about the future of work, and of course, this is all happening to us all right now. And so who better to turn to than some of our amazing guests who not only have been on the show talking about diversity and inclusion, but are very accomplished experts in their own right. So we're going to be joined by Edie Lush, who is a podcast host, a presenter, and also a presentation coach talking about how to present and also how to sell over digital channels. Dr. Katrina Wallace will be joining us from Australia, thinking about leadership in times of crisis. Of course, it's not so long ago that she indeed was leading her team throughout times of Australian bushfires and reflecting on what we can learn from that, particularly today. And then also we're going to be joined by Andy Gibson. And Andy is the head gardener at an organisation called Mind Apples, thinking about mental health and how do we manage the mental health of our teams when they're working remotely. We hope you enjoy the series and, of course, fresh ideas and suggestions are always welcome. And on behalf of the entire team behind Diversity Podcast, we'd just like to take a moment to wish you well, stay safe, stay well, and thank you, as always, for listening to Diversity Podcast. Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking diversity inclusion in financial services. Before Christmas last year, you may remember the episode where I interviewed Dr. Katrina Wallace from her office in Sydney, Australia. At the time, among many things, we talked data, artificial intelligence, her experience as the CEO of the second only female-led business to list on the Australian Securities Exchange, and also the potential for disruptive technologies to address the global scale challenges. At the time, we talked about the bushfires that even back in November had taken hold to the extent that they had burnt out much of Katrina's family farm holding in New South Wales. Little then did we know how much worse the fires would become. I'll let Katrina tell the story herself, and today she's at a much in-demand speaker talking about leadership in times of crisis, reflecting on leadership throughout the time of the ferocious bushfires and setting out some of the lessons that must be applied today. So today, over Zoom, as I self-isolate in London, it's a huge pleasure to be joined by Dr. Katrina Wallace, also self-isolating in Byron Bay. Kat, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Julia, and delighted to be with you today to talk about these important topics. Thank you. And so, well, look, I, as I said, it's, it's only right that you should tell, tell this story about, you know, what happens in December uh, and January. So tell us about the reality of the bushfires. Yeah, so we're obviously in the world in a state of crisis, but Australia arrived in a state of crisis, I think, much earlier than perhaps most other countries. And that was with the what we call the summer of 2019 wildfires or, or bushfires, which started, interestingly, in September 2019, but really took hold around November, December, right through to February. Uh, my personal experience with the fires was in November 2019. We have a family farm up in northern New South Wales, about 12,000 acres. And this is where one of the largest fires started. And within a month had destroyed the entire farm, joined up with two and then three other fire fronts and wiped out most of northern New South Wales. So we lost our family property. Uh, and then on uh, New Year's Eve, actually, we had a another property in 
south of Batemans Bay, which is on the south coast of New South Wales, a place called Rosedale Beach, and three fire fronts came through and destroyed the uh, entire town within within an hour. The whole town was wiped out. We were lucky uh, that we had learned from the farm fires how to manage properties and how to remove trees and fuel from around the house. And we'd done that at Rosedale Beach. So we the house remained standing, although everything was burnt right up to the walls and the outside of the house. So we had two instances then when we were, uh, our family was affected by the fires. So we were right in it and, and I became deeply embedded in community and then started to figure out how was this crisis led? What were the leader behaviours at the political federal government and state government level, were they effective? And if they weren't, what else needed to happen? So you've talked about what this has meant for you and your family. Can you just give us a sense of the enormity of this? Because obviously we saw a lot of this all over the press, but but how extreme was it? Yeah, well, to put it in perspective, the fires burnt 46 million acres of land in Australia. So this is 22 times larger than the Amazon fires that burnt, I think it was 2017. So during the fire season, which ran really from September until February 2020, 34 people were killed, 6,000 properties were destroyed. There were 1 billion plus, we think closer to 2 billion animals killed. And the release of around uh, over 300 million tonnes of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And then initially, there's been an estimate economically of about $5 billion of damage to to businesses. Uh, The economists, again, estimate that'll be around $100 billion by the time the impact of the fires actually uh, take their full uh, effect over the next two years. So uh, really catastrophic is the language that we use here in Australia. Uh, when we think about uh, the leadership during that that time, um, and I know you sort of think a lot about the, uh, the some of the behaviours and some of the, the attributes around uh, leadership qualities, etc. Um, I mean, I suppose a sensible starting point would be how, how do you define uh, crisis leadership, and then we'll sort of take it from there and sort of explore what that means in in the world today. So the best way to think about crisis leadership is a leader's ability to minimise the impact before, during, and after a crisis. So the very interesting part about crisis leadership, it's not really just as the crisis is on foot. It starts well before the crisis even arrives, and that can be up to several years before the crisis arrives. And within that minimising impact, of course, that is across economic, social, health, political, financial, all aspects of uh, effect or impact that the crisis may have. And there's an element of uh, also the interaction with people. I mean, a huge, huge population that, uh, that that needs and, and and I think obviously the the next natural transition for that is thinking about leaders in their organisations today, uh, and and is, I mean just within that sort of definition also for a duty of care to to individuals, uh, or does it tend to work on a much much higher plane than that? So it has to be from the individual level right up to the highest uh, political government. Uh, social level. So the crisis leader leader needs to be able to work across all of those uh, domains. 
The crisis leader is slightly different to the crisis manager. So the crisis manager's role is actually to execute and deliver the operational factors that the crisis leader would uh, initiate. So the two things are actually quite quite different. And in the literature and in the business community, we, we actually talk a lot about crisis management, but not so much about crisis leadership. So what I did as a result of, of watching the leadership behaviour, and again, I have a, a PhD in leadership, and although my PhD is actually in uh, computer technology and robots replacing human leaders, another discussion for another day, um, it made me very interested to see, to do an analysis of what happened during the Australian bushfire crisis to see how well these um, leaders performed. And the human aspect of it is, is a massive part. And uh, we perhaps can think, and maybe we can talk, Julia, about you know, who's most effective at, at leading the, the humanity part of it, also the environmental part of it, the societal part of it. Is it the one leader? Does it take multiple leaders to really effectively manage during, before and after a crisis? And so, obviously, you know, wind on, uh, and that's not at all to, to move hastily off such an enormous uh, crisis in, in Australia. And, and actually, just before we do that, I, I love your thoughts on how Australia is, is recovering from that, you know, as we wind on two or three months later. Yes, yeah, so we are recovering slowly is uh, what I, the way I would describe it. So there's still plenty of people without homes who are underinsured, who weren't insured. There are plenty of people still living in uh, other friends and families' houses. There will be people who are, by this stage, uh, living in caravans living, or homeless as a result. The government actually, through the various phases of crisis management, uh, started to perform probably, in my opinion, only well in the recovery phase. And so they have actually uh, done quite a good job at creating a stimulus package and putting in place uh, logistics to help people who are still suffering. However, the impact, uh, we were just starting to recover from the impact when, of course, the COVID-19 crisis uh, also hit Australia. So we've been double hit with crisis. So, so you talk about recovery as a particular phase. Uh, presumably, there, therefore, there are many, many others as well. Could you walk us through? I know you have a model around kind of leadership, crisis leadership. Uh, walk us, could you walk us through the various phases on that? There are five core phases in a crisis leadership model. So the first one is around signal detection. So this is the leader's ability to detect signals as many as you know, several years um, before a crisis is, is due to happen. So, for example, in the Australian bushfires, we uh, had our fire commissioners coming two years prior to the summer of 2019 with reports to the government saying 2019 is going to be a, a, a very difficult year, we're not prepared, we need to do things. Then again, in, in April uh, 2019, the fire commissioners came again. We had our Indigenous leaders warning the government, and these signals were largely uh, ignored. Now, in the signal detection phase, this is where the leader has to be very, very strong in managing interest groups and political agendas. And in my opinion, it was a political agenda and interest groups that really derailed the government from effectively uh, recognising signals and acting on them. And, and this would be the... Uh, so ignoring the climate, uh, 
uh, change uh, movement and then and the signals they provided and then uh, perhaps um, being held accountable to strong interest groups. So this could have been the mining sector, the resource sector or the anti, anti-climate change um, factions would have had, I believe, a stronghold on government. So the signals were ignored in that case and hence we were in a much um, worse position to prevent and prepare for the crisis, which was the second phase. So in prevention and preparation, this is where well ahead of the crisis, the leaders should be starting to be recognising all the different scenarios that can can play out, data-driven critical thinking, um, modelling of scenarios, starting to engage and enrol all the various um, multi-stakeholders and multicultural stakeholders. When we talk about multicultural stakeholders in crisis leadership. We're not necessarily talking about nationality, but the different cultures of different subgroups that may be uh, a part of uh, managing through this crisis. So prevention and preparation is the second phase. Third is damage control and containment, which is the actually when the crisis is on foot and how does the leader actually manage through that. Then the fourth phase is the recovery phase and then the fifth phase is learning So if I go through those again, signal detection, preparation and prevention, damage control and containment, recovery, then learning. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for setting that out incredibly clearly as well. And and as we sort of roll that on further then into the reality of where we are today, right right in the middle of coronavirus, COVID-19, and uh, obviously a lot of our listeners are leaders in their organisations. And thinking about, I suppose there are two parts to this, really. One is that where in, where in the cycle are we uh, as, as we are uh, running our businesses today? And anything particular that you uh, would reflect on in terms of what's been happening in Australia that we should be paying attention to and particularly think of as, as leaders of organisations? And then we can get on to organisational structures and, and how we engage with employees as well. Right. Well, I definitely think uh, our government will have learned a lot And our leaders a lot from perhaps not being great crisis leaders during the Australian bushfires. And I think we now are in a better position uh, with uh, crisis leadership during the COVID-19, although I still think not not an excellent uh, position. So the same uh, phases apply and the the frames through which the crisis leader would be looking uh, now during COVID-19 or during the fires. So there's there's four major, uh, traditionally thinking crisis leadership, there's four major frames that the leader would look through. So one is a design frame. So how are they going to design solutions to get um, through this? Second is a political frame. Third is a cultural frame. Fourth is a human resource frame. And then I've put another frame on there based on uh, my experience, which is uh, an environmental frame. So all of this happening but, of course, it's happening through the frame of, of the environment, which we also can, this is the fires obviously as a natural disaster fit in, but we could also argue that there's a, a environmental um, impacts and uh, signals and also uh, causes regarded to, to COVID-19. So within, across those phases we talked about before, across those five frames, then become the very important thing. And what is the leader's behaviour uh, that is going to uh, lead the ent- entire community, uh, including 
business, government, society generally, uh, teams, individuals through the crisis and, and into recovery and into learning. So, so that's the big question. Do we have leaders in Australia, in the UK, globally, who can actually have these behaviours and know what these behaviours are. And, and then how does that translate into the, the corporate world? So uh, I, I look at you know, my organisation and, and and some of the signalling around COVID, uh, obviously I couldn't have signalled uh, any better than anybody else, <laughs> certainly not, that it was coming. But but certainly looking for early signals about the impact for me, my team and, and my clients. I love your thoughts on how you're beginning to see some of this kind of filter down into organisational life. Yes, so you could almost have organisations and businesses as a microcosm of what's happening in at a higher level, at a, at a government and a societal level. I absolutely believe this. And when I did an analysis of what, what are the traditional crisis leader behaviours, and I'm very happy to talk those through, and then what are the new behaviours uh, that we're seeing in this current contemporary environment, whether it's fires or viruses, that leaders need to have, I think it's almost exactly the same for business leaders to have these behaviours and attributes as it is our, our politicians and government who are the ones theoretically leading us through this crisis. And, and there's another argument that um, we as business leaders sometimes know that the governments also don't really know how to do this well. And, and this uh, COVID-19 is certainly unprecedented on, on its scale and its, in its impact. It has a massive uh, health impact and environmental and economic impact, we, the businesses, are the, the core basis of, an, of the economy, so we will be deeply affected by it, but also we can use this model, I think, to help lead our ways out of it without relying necessarily on government to solve the problem. And, of course, there are stakeholder groups in the middle, you know, so lobbying groups and industry associations who, who straddle the world of uh, sort of business and leadership and also the government and the politics of the policy uh, element as well. But you mentioned about those behaviours, really intrigued to get into those. Uh, what, are the, what are the classic behaviours uh, that you see? Right, so I'll run through a list of 12 traditional behaviours that were associated with crisis leaders and then I'll talk more about the ones that I believe are, are relevant today. And again, very important for, for all of us and uh, Julia, you running a business, me running a business, your listeners running running businesses and leading businesses to see which ones of these they feel might be relevant for their current situation and what might be useful for them to help lead their own team through this crisis. But let's start with the traditional ones. So traditional um, crisis leader behaviours include charisma, inspiration, strategic thinking, sadness and compassion, decisiveness, adaptability, directive leadership, extensive communications, facilitate collective action, can remain calm, make good use of teams, and can reduce obstacles. So if you think about those, they even sort of feel a bit dated, right? So really, if we, we, we boil those down, you want a charismatic, inspirational, strategic thinking leader who has some ability to show some compassion and is probably a a reasonable communicator and stays calm. So, so that's a traditional model of crisis leadership, which I think is entirely inadequate in today's uh, crisis, given that they are so so extreme. So let's move forward into 2020 and talk about what I believe from the analysis that I've done 
would be the absolute behaviours and attributes that a leader needs to be an effective crisis leader. So these include being an active signal detector, so someone who's able to sense either uh, through data or it can also be intuitive, I believe, that something is going to happen well ahead of its time and is able to note those signals and start to analyse them and be able to predict what or when a crisis may occur and they start their crisis leadership, even if it's several years before, from that point in time. So being an effective signal detector, absolutely critically important. Second one, which we didn't see written too much about in the, in the literature around crisis leadership, is around political agenda management. And now that's obvious when we talk about uh, what's happening perhaps in, in the US and how Donald Trump has, has responded to the, the COVID-19 crisis, where he was largely uh, avoiding it or ignoring it or playing it down as a seasonal flu uh, until more recent times when it's escalated. So that would have been managing political agendas. Um, and then the second, third one is, is managing interest groups or interest group management. So there are various interest groups that also end up having um, political power who the leader needs to be able to manage. Now, if we think about it in the context of business, that may be a board with an, with an agenda. It may be interest groups like investors who want the business or the leader to behave in a certain way or be directed in a certain way that the leader may not think is in the best interests of the business, the staff, the clients and the, the financial management of the business and all, all the other things the leader looks at. So there's the first three, signal detector, political agenda management and interest group management. The fourth one is data-driven critical thinking. So being able to scenario plan and model out what might come and critically uh, analysing that, but using data. So that's uh, absolutely yeah, a critical and, again, wasn't really talked about in the traditional leadership models. So the fifth one is multicultural lens communicator. So this is uh, a leader who is able to understand and map out all of the different interest groups, cultural groups, and this doesn't necessarily again, mean um, cultural, uh, racially or anything else. It's actually the culture within a particular stakeholder group that will be involved in the, um, in the crisis. So uh, perhaps that is a, from a business perspective, your clients. So what is the perspective of the clients? What is the culture of the clients? How are they feeling? What are they experiencing? And the leader being able to directly communicate to that group which will be different to the employee group, different to the supplier group, different to the general market. The sixth one is having values diverse input. Now, McKinsey actually very interestingly writes that the crisis leader behaviours often are those associated with uh, traditional women's uh, leadership behaviours or the feminine archetype. And this is around um, being... Uh, very able to collaborate, have empathy, vision, transparency, critical thinkers and collective action uh, instigators, all of which are traditionally associated with uh, uh, 
female or feminine type uh, leadership, which is which is very interesting. But in addition to perhaps a gender diversity, there also needs to be a values diversity. So not just having the leader dictate their own values, that it needs to um, have multiple values and then multiple um, diverse groups inputting into the, the uh, program or plan that the leader has. Seventh one is understanding human and environmental factors. So really understanding what is the impact that this is going to have on humans right down to the individual level, as well as what is the impact it's going to have on the environment. The eighth one is deep empathy. So I think that's um, that's clear. So able to empathise again with those different stakeholder groups and to do that in a, a, a vulnerable and a transparent way. And so the ninth leader attribute or behaviour is vulnerability. And what we're really seeing here is the ability for the leader to admit mistakes and acknowledge mistakes, learn from mistakes, and then move on uh, and be vulnerable during that process. Tenth one is knowledge of advanced technology. So there's a huge amount of technology that's available now to be able to lead businesses or people through these crises, the the leader, the crisis leader should be quite tech savvy and know how to access, not necessarily know how to use them themselves, but know how to access and apply these technologies. There's two more. So the 11th one is being adept at collective action. And collective action is the ability to mobilise different groups of uh, people or systems collectively to respond to the crisis. And then the twelfth one is being a visionary. So uh, having a vision to lead people out of the crisis into the the new world. And, and interestingly enough, crisis itself means a new beginning or an unveiling or the ending, uh, a decision point where something ends and something new begins. And often that something new is unknown. We don't know what it's going to be. So very much now with COVID-19, none of us know really when it's going to finish or what is going to be unveiled on the other side. So it's the leader's role to actually have a vision around that, regardless of the uncertainty. Amazing, amazing list. This just leads me to so many questions, actually. So so I suppose my first is, uh, which do you believe, obviously this is just a personal opinion, um, so which, which do you believe are perhaps most overlooked? And which are the ones which people kind of classically seem to to focus on and be quite good at? So let's start with the ones that are classically good at, which would be uh, leaders standing up and uh, uh, trying to show some uh, strategic thinking about what might be the various scenarios that they could lead a business through. Because scenario planning and and disasters and crisis, so th- these are a well-trodden path for, for many organisations. Uh, so, so the strategic thinking and strategic leadership is probably something leaders do uh, reasonably well or it's a, it's a t- traditional model that they uh, have become equipped in doing. What I don't think is done well is the political agenda management, the interest group management, the data-driven critical thinking, and also the application of advanced technologies. So these are all, I think, newer aspects to a business leader that really are the ones to to focus on, in addition to just the human aspects of empathy and vulnerability um, and and diverse uh, value of, of diversity. So we could almost put those, Julia, into sort of more, more sort of the hard, harder skills around data, technology, 
uh, critical thinking and politics, and then the softer skills around empathy, vulnerability, uh, and and diversity and inclusion. Uh, and and I'd say both of them are equally important. Mm. And I wonder to what degree leaders are. And yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of you know putting this out there really. Which to what degree leaders are, are, are thinking. Well, actually, uh, and I'll focus on the hard stuff and then I'll bring people in around me to take care of the soft stuff or vice versa, actually, or vice versa, or or any of those those kind of behaviours that are going to say, well, actually, I can't do all of them. I can't be good at all of them. So I'll, I'll build a management team around me of people who are who can fill the gaps necessarily. But, but what you're saying is that actually everybody should work at, on, on all of them. And, uh, and I wonder um, uh, whether you're seeing an awareness that people are taking this stuff seriously and beginning to think very differently about the whole of their management uh, leadership training, if you like, to make sure that it, they are suitably equipped for the next crisis? So it's a good question about whether a single leader can have all of these attributes. And, and traditionally, we, we know that leaders tend to uh, either fall into a, a tasks and results orientation or a... Um, a, a more humanistic orientation or potentially a a charismatic uh, transformational type type leader behavior so those would be I think the the three main categories of leadership now it's not necessary that an organization has one leader who has all of these characteristics I think ideally they they would and we see people like Jacinda Ardern the Prime Minister of New Zealand who I believe is one of the most outstanding world leaders currently, I would say, probably has uh, a number of these 12 leader behaviours for crisis leaders. Really, she's quite adept at them, but I think it's quite rare. So there's no reason why there can't be more than one person in a leadership team who takes the crisis leadership role and actually uh, plays to their skills and strengths. But what the staff or the employees or the groups who are following these leaders must see that let's say it's two leaders in this case, they must be completely aligned and no conflict whatsoever. So the moment there's conflict, that becomes quite a damaging um, role. Now, then we could extend that more. Could you have a leadership of two, three, four people who are doing these roles? Possibly, but again, the moment that the staff detect any misalignment or conflict, then that starts to break down. So ideally is, I believe, leaders... So whether it's a it's a, a chairperson or whether it's a CEO or or any of the executive leadership team, or coming down into a smaller team or middle management, I would really encourage leaders to start to aspire to being across all of these leader behaviours as the very best way to lead through it. And, and you talk there about um, the perception of the employees as they look above and, and are looking for leadership as well. And I know that's something else that you've also looked at. Uh, you mentioned in, in your earlier comments about uh, the fires at Rosedale that, that took out the town where, you, where your family have a house. Um, and I know you're, you're doing some research there about, from, from a kind of community perspective, the, the, the community view on crisis leadership. And really keen because as we think about employees and their and their response and their and their dynamics uh, as we go through a period of change, uh, what we can learn from that. Yes, I think there is absolute application of what we learned about how the Rosedale residents were feeling, what they were experiencing, and then what employees will be feeling and experiencing currently. So again, if we we look at some of those emotions, they were stress, heartbreak, anger, 
wanting uh, leaders to show empathy and looking for a visionary leader to, to lead them through the crisis. So I think exactly what happened during the fire crisis will be relevant to employees now who are looking to their leaders to lead them out of these um, trying times. So I think it's very important for the leader to acknowledge that these feelings will run deeply in their employees and then have strategies to uh, enable the employees to be able to work through those which perhaps are not traditionally, again, um, emotions that we have in business other than at time of crisis where there's extreme stress, financial stress, heartbreak and anger. Um, so this is, these are the, the behaviours that leaders, good leaders, will need to work with their employees at um, team and individual levels, help them work through that until we're on the other side. And I certainly think at the moment there's a need to anticipate that if that's not what people are feeling now, then certainly as the virus takes hold and affects individuals and their families and, uh, you know, there may well be some resulting deaths uh, that that in order to plan now for how they, they appropriately work with their employees and communicate their employees uh, at that time. Right, that's right. So if it's not yet the case in businesses, and some businesses have not yet been affected, but we know in some way almost all businesses will be affected, whether it's not through uh, financially or through the economy, it will be through people who've had uh, tragedy associated with this with this virus. So again, I would uh, thoroughly recommend as part of the crisis uh, leader model that uh, business leaders are starting to think about how they respond to employees. And in many cases, this is going to be able to deal with these heightened emotions that the employees are experiencing now. If, I can't believe how time disappears on these podcasts. So I could I could sit and talk to you uh, for a long time about all of this. I, I, we, ha- we have, unfortunately, to, to, to wrap up. So I, I suppose my final question to you would be, you know, final words of advice and considering some of the plans that people that leaders should be putting into place with their organizations at the moment um any final thoughts about what listeners should really be paying attention to right now yes so i think this crisis leadership style attributes behaviors and models will become the norm that's what i think so whether it's fires whether it's virus whether it's floods whether it's uh, Economics. So we're obviously going to go into a very a difficult time economically for the whole world. So whether it goes into a recession or depression, it, it's highly likely. And this is a, another level of crisis. So my great uh, messaging here would be for leaders listening to this podcast really to start to think about what role can they play, how that can they develop crisis leadership behaviours, so that they are the ones that rise to the top. They are the ones that lead their people through this because as far as we're all aware, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets a lot better and it won't be the last crisis that we face. So we we tended only to think about crisis leadership when crisis came. I think crisis leadership now has to be just a standard leader behaviour that all of us learn to become adept at. Katrina, it's been wonderful to hear your perspectives, not only uh, personally, throughout the bushfires and what that's meant for you and your family, but also your research, your findings, your analysis, and to uh, to share that with us today has been incredibly generous. So I just want to take a moment on behalf of all the listeners and uh, just to say thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. 
It's such a pleasure, Julia, anytime. And of course, to all our listeners, a diversity podcast. Thank you for listening. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com. And that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. All our episodes are available in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. If you enjoy Diversity Podcast, remember to share on social media and give us a rating or review. It really helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.